Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. We are in episode 151. Let's get started right away. A very important topic, I think, when it comes to trading has to do with broker. A lot of people kind of neglect the broker they pick first. A lot of people are very cautious about what broker they pick. And I think there's some work to be done here, some things to be learned, and especially recently with all the new rules in the EU, in Canada, and Australia. There's been a lot of people that had to kind of change the way they trade. I wanted to bring an expert to talk about a topic and to guide you as much as possible onto what broker to pick or what to do based on these new rules. So I brought back Trent Orr from a previous episode of the podcast. He came here more than a year ago to talk about how to pick the right Forex broker for you. This episode was quite technical, but I want to dive a little more deep into the recent changes. And Trent knows way more than I do about brokers. So it was really nice to get his perspective on things. And I'm pretty sure you'll get a lot out of this interview. It's a good way to learn how brokers work and what things to look for in a broker. So without further ado, please help me welcome Trent Orr. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. I'm sitting down today in Montreal with Trent, who's in Florida. Welcome, Trent. How's it going today? It's going good, Etienne. How are you doing? Awesome. Great. So, guys, we had a lot of questions recently about brokers. I thought I might bring a guest to talk about those brokers and what to focus on, what you have to look at in a broker and stuff. We might do a few parts into this if you guys have a lot of questions, but we'll see how that turns out. So I want Trent to introduce yourself first to people like what you do, who you are, and why you know a lot about brokers. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks for that introduction. To elaborate on a little bit, uh, my background, I was originally a futures prop trader in Chicago for a pretty large firm up there for a number of years. And then when things weren't going very well, I realized I wasn't really emotionally stable enough to trade. I realized I'm probably more suited for the brokerage side. So at that time, I made the switch. I initially went and worked for a brokerage firm called Think Forex, which is now Think Markets. Uh, I headed their institutional sales for a couple of years. And then I moved to another ASIC broker, DirectFX, which uh, I did headed their operations. So managed the M24 admin, set up liquidity partnerships, and worked with other more institutional partners there as well. Before one of my clients, which is Forest Park Effects, run by Justin Hertzberg, actually hired me to come down to, to South Florida and work for him down here, which is where I'm currently at. So Forest Park FX is a US regulated introducing broker, as well as we have an FCA license to do the same in Europe as well. Cool. So basically to recap, and this took me a long time to understand, but what you guys do is that you offer people to sign up with different brokers that you kind of screen and go through. And then they get the rebate. Is that how it works pretty much? Or Yeah, that's a, that's a good synopsis of it. So we, we have a few value-add propositions. Obviously, the most tangible one is the cashback rebate program, where effectively brokers pay us to make introductions to their firm. And then of the compensation we receive, we share it back with the client to help reduce their cost of trading. Additionally, as you may know, there's about 4,000 MT4 licenses out there, which means there's about 4,000 FX brokers. And we work with maybe 12 of them. Not all of them <laughs> are the most <laughs> reputable and honest. Um, yeah. So we've done significant due diligence on the ones that we work with. I'm not saying they're the only ones that are good out there. It's just the ones we've selected to partner with. But yeah, we've, we've done significant due diligence on, on all the brokers to make sure they're reputable, honest, and they, they always do what's right by the client. Cool. 
so I know there's been a lot of news recently about brokers, about the EU, the new regulation there, something about IC market being not available for Canadian citizens so, in, I think, a few months or so. So I don't know what you want to start, what you want to talk about, but is there any topic that we need to touch on and that people need to learn about right now? Yeah, I would say both of those are very hot button topics right now. Um, I guess we can kick off with the ESMA regulations and sort of the MIFID too and sort of the major impacts that it's having with citizens. And it's not only citizens of EU, that's, that's an important component. Any person that has an account with an EU regulated broker, so if your account's with CISIC or it's with FCA or with anybody in Germany, like you are going to be impacted by the new ESMA rules. So it doesn't matter if you live in Argentina and you trade with an FCA broker, you are going to basically be impacted. So there's a couple major changes with the ESMA rules. The most significant is the leverage caps. So on major FX pairs, it's going from no leverage cap right now, which some brokers are offering four to 500 to one, all the way down to 30 to one on majors, 20 to one on minors and gold, and then 10 to one on individual equities and two to one on cryptocurrencies. So that's probably the most significant impact. Um, You'll see a lot of people that don't necessarily want to post a lot of capital with FX brokers for whatever reason, who are now going to be forced to post more capital with them in order to maintain the positions, or they're just going to have to trade smaller size. So I'd say that's the the biggest thing that's going on right now. Um, And one of the key questions that we always get that comes up around that is what's going to happen to my open positions come August 1st, which is an excellent question. We've had it quite a few times uh, here recently. And basically what it is, is the regulators have left it up to the brokers. It seems at this point, most brokers are going to close your positions if you don't meet leverage cap requirements. And then some brokers, the alternative is they will set you up with a new account that is on 31 leverage and allow you to basically put the other account to close only mode. So you'll have the positions open, but you can't open any new positions underneath that leverage. It's going to be close only. But it doesn't seem like most brokers do that from, from our conversations. It seems most are going to require you to deposit more capital to maintain the positions if you're close to that leverage cap. Mm-hmm. So what I've heard is that there's a, a way for you to sign up as a professional trader or something similar where you would have a higher leverage on your account. Is that something that most people would do or does that not make much sense for most people? So yeah, the professional trader, that's actually a good one. We've had a few clients be approached by their brokerage firms um, if they were going to meet the requirements, which some of your listeners might uh, meet the requirements. It's important to understand what that actually means though and some of the, I guess, benefits that you're giving up. Because if you get classified as a professional trader, there's a couple of things. One, your funds are no longer segregated and you're not covered in, underneath any regulatory investment scheme. So like for the FCA, for example, they back all retail client deposits by 50,000 pounds. And it actually does work. We saw it with Alpara UK after the Swiss National Bank incident, where it took them about a year to get their money back. But anybody that had lost money due to that bankruptcy received their up to 50,000 pounds back. So if you're a professional trader, though, that's no longer the case because your funds are not secured underneath that. And you're basically like any other creditor where you have to go after the broker to to get your funds. So that's definitely a key thing to keep in mind when you're contemplating whether or not to be considered a, a professional trader. I would say that's the main thing that you're giving up. So yes, you, you do get to have 
more leverage, but you lose some of those benefits. Additionally, the negative balance protection. Uh, that's one of the other big things with the new ESMA regulation is every broker has to offer retail clients a negative balance protection, meaning you cannot lose more money than what's in your account, which anybody that you know went debit balance with ESMA, which I saw some <laughs> very large debit balances at the time, that's a good thing where if you put you know, 10000 in an account, you cannot lose more than $10,000. But that's not the case for your professional trader. If you're a professional trader and you go debit balance, they can come after you for that debit. Cool. Okay. That makes sense. Before we get further into this interview, I want to introduce you guys to today's sponsor. As you probably already know, I interview traders from all around the world with different kind of background and expertise. And the one question I get very often is, what is the next step I can take after listening to all those interviews? in order to become a profitable trader? And the answer is pretty simple. What helped me the most succeed in trading was to get the help from other people. Now there's one trader and company in particular that I feel do a really good job in helping traders become profitable. Jeremy Alexander Newsom with Real Life Trading definitely stand behind their mission of enriching people's lives as they help them become profitable traders. Now you might ask, what makes Jeremy different? And how can he help? Well, first off, he is not focused on making money, but rather adding value to traders. Only few people I talk to in the trading industry are willing to do that. So here's what he is willing to do for you. Thanks so much, man, for that kind intro. I truly appreciate it. For those listening to the Desire to Trade podcast, I want to say thank you. I know you care about growth and progress, and that's why you're bettering yourself right now. Here's what's going on. Shoot me an email at this exact moment in time if you are not profitable. It's entirely free. My email address is jeremy, J-E-R-R-E-M-Y, at reallifetrain.com. Let me do what I do best and figure out what hurdles, either mentally, subconsciously, or physically, are stopping you from profitably trading, and let's do this together. Get at me, shoot me an email. ETN, back to you guys. Enjoy the rest of your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. So guys, this is going to separate the serious traders from the wannabes and people treating this as a hobby. Jeremy is willing to help. So email him at jeremy, G-E-R-R-E-M-Y, at reallifetrading.com. If you're not serious about your success, then that's fine. But I'm really hoping you'll take this opportunity to learn and to become better. And now let's get back to the interview. So what do you see most people do in the people you talk to? Do they want to keep the leverage they have now or do they want to shift to being professional traders? Or what seems to be kind of the, the biggest tendency people go in? in um, it's, it's a mixed bag. A lot of, I guess a lot of people that were going to meet professional requirements, they don't necessarily care because they aren't trading at super high leverage to begin with. I, I have seen that tendency a lot where they've been approached by their broker and we start talking about it and comes to find out that they're actually only using 20 to 1 or 30 to 1 leverage as of right now. I think that's something a lot of people forget. Even though your account's set at 100 to 1, you're not necessarily using 100 to 1 leverage. You might only be using 10 to 1 or 20 to 1. This is based off of the positions that you're opening, uh, which I think that a lot of people get confused by that, where just because they're afforded that much leverage, they're not actually using that much. But then we see a lot of people, you know, uh, looking for brokers outside of the EU as well. So a lot of people are starting to look at more ASIC brokerage firms that don't have any ties to Europe. Um, so that's something to keep in mind too. If 
if a broker doesn't have ties to Europe, the rules right now that are coming out still allow you to go and open an account elsewhere. That might not always be the case here in the United States, for example. U.S. citizens are beholden to U.S. regulated brokerage firms. We cannot go offshore to open firms or open brokerage accounts, um, which it seems like it's going to probably be the same way in Europe eventually. But as of right now, you can go offshore to like an ASIC regulated brokerage firm or some other like Swiss regulated brokerage firms pending that they don't have any other ties to Europe. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we have Sharon in the chat who's asking, since she's from the UK, is it possible for her to go into, let's say, a broker in Australia or New Zealand to open an account to escape those rules or does she have to stick to Europe? As of right now, she could go to a brokerage firm in Australia or New Zealand pending they do not also have regulation in the UK or Europe. The brokerage firms that have that are very, they're starting to become narrower because there was a big pushback from like 2013 to 2015 of all these ASIC brokerage firms getting regulated by the FCA or SISIC brokers getting regulated by the FCA as well. So it's, there are some brokers out there that don't have ties to Europe that she could go open an account with as of right now. That, that rule may change in the future, but as of right now, she could. Cool. Okay. I think in, in most cases, I think people don't need the leverage. So I think would not make much sense to go to a different like broker or whatever. But in some cases, if you really want to have high leverage, then yeah, you could go to another broker. But I think for most people, they might just stick with what they have and be fine with it. Yeah, exactly. Most, most people just don't utilize the leverage that's there. It goes back to just because it's in the account doesn't mean you're actually using it. You have to thank most, most people that we see or I see trade anywhere from like micros and many. So they're trading thousands up to maybe 50,000 positions at any given time with their strategy. And you know, most people, I think the average deposit size internationally is like $6,000. So there, they're not even using anywhere close to the amount of levers that they would still have underneath as well. Now, I receive a lot of email messages and stuff about IC market being not available anymore for <laughs> Canadian citizen. And I think it's kind of a problem in Canada and in the US to find a broker to fit your need. So what should people do with that? Now, they, I think their account's going to be closed. Should they move to another broker? Should they research a bit more before picking a broker? What should they focus on at this point? Yeah, it was definitely unfortunate. Uh, we were just as surprised. We've been in IV IC markets for several years now. We have hundreds of Canadian clients with them. We were they didn't give us any forewarning. It was one day we actually had a client get the email he sent to us overnight, and we woke up like, "What is going on here?" Yeah, the regulation out of of Canada is very gray in how they approach it to brokers. It's basically every province is different. And so like there for a while, IC markets accepted everybody, but from like Alberta, Canada, you had to prove you're a professional or a qualified participant out of Alberta, but everywhere else they just accept. And you saw a lot of other brokers doing something similar, uh, where it was same as like direct. If you were from Alberta, we had to have you sign a, a piece of paper that said you were a qualified person and actually prove it. But yeah, it's unfortunate. It seems like the Canadian regulators starting to become more closely associated with ASIC and starting to you know, crack down on ASIC brokers that are not regulated by IROC in Canada, accepting Canadian citizens. But there are still several other options out there. There's other ASIC regulated brokers that don't follow the same, same practice, uh, Global Prime being one of them. We see a lot of clients moving over there. Axie Trader still accepts Canadian clients in, in most provinces. And then you actually do have Canadian brokers 
like Friedberg, which is an extension of FXCM, Forex.com in Canada, OANDA. So those are locally regulated, strong brokers that will accept your accounts there. You just, it's similar to the ESMA rules where you're, you're capped by the leverage that IROC affords to residents of Canada. But I would say for those that are contemplating moving, yes, your account's definitely going to be shut down here in the next month. By IST markets, uh, Pepperstone announced a couple months back that they were closing down all Canadian accounts as well, mm-hmm. even if they're existing. I would say just take a step back, really focus on, on the things you liked about IC markets and try to find a broker that's similar to IC markets or closely associated. And if anybody obviously has any questions, like specific questions, they can feel free to contact me or get a hold of Etienne and he can put you in touch with me. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I would just I would reflect on what you like, what you don't like, and then try to find a broker that is similar. To your needs. Cool. Yeah, and we'll put a link below in the description to your site to uh, Forest Park FX, where people can just like I think you can select like a an area they live in or something or a country or region, and then they can choose a broker based on that place. That's pretty yeah. awesome. <laughs> we, yeah, we have a, like a little interactive map on our front. Yeah, uh, just because regulations different, we try to try to help clients with understanding which brokers are available to them based off where they live. Mm-hmm. Which it's awesome. it works out pretty well. I like the interactive map, but. Cool. <laughs> awesome. So, but I think there's no like lack of broker in Canada. I think there's plenty of them. You just have to pick one that fits your need. And do you yeah. see kind of any few that kind of distinguish themselves that are better than others, or it really depends on the person's need? At this point? Um, it, it really depends on the person's needs and then their trading style. So we take a pretty consultative approach to when referring a broker to actually understand the client because. Every single broker is unique. They're going to have different spreads, commission models, execution models, platforms, obviously regulation, leverage requirements or margin requirements. Um, so it's, it's really, the FX industry is really not a one size fits all. It's very unique to every single client. And what works best for you might not necessarily work best for me. So it's difficult to say one broker that's going to be you know good. I would say probably the closest alternative to IC markets out there right now would be Global Prime. They're another ASIC regulated brokerage firm. They offer the same ECN STP style accounts where it's the raw spreads like a 0.2 with a $7 commission. So it's very similar in, in that regard, but it definitely has some distinct differences that people should be aware of. Cool. And do they have a rebate when they sign up with you to uh, to that broker? Or? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, any broker. So it's the same rebate that we offer at IC Markets. It's $1 off. So if you're paying $7, it effectively reduces your cost of trading down to $6. And that comes either via PayPal or Skrill at the end of the month. Yeah, it's a good program. It's, um, it works out well. I always use Groupon here. I feel like Groupon's like the same way. I don't know if you guys have Groupon in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, we do. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you just sign up. It's like, all right, you spend five and you're going to get $10 worth of food at you know, Burger King, for example. Um, it's very similar to that model. <laughs> cool, cool. And the other question I get quite a lot is, I want to pick like, the best broker. How can I pick the best broker? And I don't know there's not like, an answer to that, but <laughs> what would be things people have to look at when they want to pick a broker? Yeah, that's uh, definitely a good question. So, I mean, regulation would be first and foremost. You mm-hmm. see a lot of... A lot of brokers, and especially now with ESMA, where somebody wants higher leverage and they just type in brokers with high leverage on Google, well, you're going to get a, a million results. And the vast majority of those brokers aren't regulated anywhere. They're set up on some random island with 
their bank accounts in Europe somewhere that has it that's owned by a shell company and you can never actually figure out who who owns the company. So I would I would say regulation would be the, the big thing for me. I, I think FCA, ASIC, NFA, IROC in Canada, I think these are all very strong regulatory bodies that actually do protect the client. Uh, they may, in our opinions, go overboard a little bit, but the regulations are definitely there to, to help and protect you and your your funds. So I'd say definitely look at that first and foremost. And then the other things, just look to, to see if they have what you need. So, you know, if you need to trade on the MT4 platform, obviously most brokers offer that, but other people have specific platforms. Like they want to trade on like a fix. They have their own platform. They want to use a fix. Well, not all brokers offer a fixed API connection. So you'd have to, you just narrow it down from, from there to see which ones do. And then see which ones you know have the funding options that you may need. If you need net teller or Skrill, not all brokers offer net teller or Skrill deposit. So you just really have to get on the list and see which things are important to you, and then start checking off those boxes and seeing which brokers are out there. And then at the end of it, you'll be left with two or three that sort of fit in a basket of very similar brokers. And then at that point, it would come down to customer service for me. I want to make sure that I can go online. I can get their live chat when I need to, because at the end of the day, it's a technology industry. There's going to be technology issues. You want to make sure that you get a hold of your broker to fix those as quickly as possible. So after you get your little, you get it narrowed down to important components that you want, go to the customer service, ping them on live chat, call in, see, see how quickly they respond. And then obviously anybody that works with us, we're always available. Justin and I work pretty much 24 hours a day and are able to help in situations like that as well. Cool, cool. And actually, I think that's a really good test that you just mentioned, the fact that you can try to like contact the customer service, see if they reply. And that's usually super, like a really good sign. If you have like a demo account, you just try to contact them and they might reply, might not reply. If they don't reply, then don't sign up. <laughs> but if, if they reply and they answer your question fast, then I would really, yeah, encourage that broker for sure. That's a good Yeah, it, I mean, customer service is, it's key. It's the one thing most brokers offer MT4. Most Brokers have, you know, an ECN or STP style account at this point. So customer service is definitely one of those things. It's a key differentiator, at least in my mind, and I think it should be in most people's mind, of, of how responsive somebody is, how knowledgeable they are when you do get a hold of somebody. Uh, that's something we see. We, we go on because I still have to go on live chat sometimes for some of our clients. And I, I talk to some brokers and you can see which ones have actually educated their live chat support versus ones that are using more of like an automated, like, or somebody that's straight out of college that doesn't really know the industry trying to answer questions. So yeah, it's, you definitely just want to go with somebody that's responsive and is knowledgeable about the, the questions that you have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know a lot of, like one thing people look at a lot when they pick a broker is like the spread. So they look at like a chart with different spread of different broker. Does that have, like, do you look at that yourself or does that make a big impact or maybe for some people, maybe not for everyone, but do you, ever, do you ever look at that when you pick a broker or no? It depends on the style. So if somebody is high frequency scalper, intraday scalper, then obviously cost of trading is going to be a significant thing for their, their account. You know, if you're doing hundred lots a day, 200 lots a day, I mean, that adds up to hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds if not thousands of dollars over the course of a week, a month, a year. So that's definitely something that you're going to want to factor in. But if you're more of a position style trader where you're just taking a couple trades a week and you're holding them for you know a week, a month, however long you may hold them for, then all of a sudden, 
the spread isn't an important factor, you might want to start looking at the swap rates that they're they're charging and find a broker that either has positive swaps for the positions that you're going to take or has very low swap charges. So yeah, it, it varies. The cost of trading is a component, but not always the most important component of somebody's account. It just mm-hmm. depends on the style of trader they are. Cool. And another question is like, how do you know that the broker is fully licensed with the license you want to look for? It's like a side you can, because all brokers seem to be licensed in some way. But <laughs> how do you know that they have the proper license? Is it just within the website? Is it something you have to search for? Or how do you, how do you deal with that? Good question. Every single regulated jurisdiction is going to be different on how you can see if that broker is regulated. So like here in the United States, for example, you can go to NFA Basics and you can type in the registration number. So like if you go to the bottom of our US website, we have a introducing broker number NFA number and you just take that number and you can type it in to NFA basics. Additionally, you can type in our firm name and it'll come up and it'll list like it'll list who works there, who owns the company, uh, how much of each person actually owns the company, if there's been any disciplinary actions taken against them. And most major jurisdictions have this. So FCA has it as well. You can go to our UK website, pull the number and go type it in. You'll see the exact same type of information over there. So yeah, you take the number, you find out which jurisdiction that that broker's regulated in. So it'll say it if you go to the bottom of the site, you know, regulated by you know the National Futures Association and CFTC. Take the number and go to that website and type it in. Not, and I, I would say not all regulators do that because the lesser regulated jurisdictions, they might have a number, but they don't actually regulate FX. It's more of just like a registration but there's no real oversight. So if you go to one of their websites, it might not say anything about that broker, which obviously makes it more difficult to see if they're actually registered or regulated, which is one of the reasons why I would recommend sticking with a stronger regulated jurisdiction, ASIC, FCA, NFA, IROC. That's the easiest way to do it is to find whatever regulated body they're in, which should say on the bottom of the website and grab the number. There's always a number associated with it and find the website for that regulator and type that number in. It should spit you back the, the information on that broker. Cool, that's awesome. And we have a few questions in the chat. If you have any questions, comment below in the chat. Those are a really good questions so far, and I want to ask you to uh, change right now. But we have a question about, what are your thoughts on Ducat's copy and let's say eToro? I think Ducat's copy is good. We've actually been contemplating partnering with them uh, on our side. We're just going through our due diligence now. So nothing against them. It's always heard positive things. They have a good reputation. eToro, I honestly don't know a lot about outside of the commercials I've seen. I know they do mostly copy trading. But outside of that, I, I honestly don't know anybody that's actually ever been a client there and traded. I know a couple of people that provided their signals on their site and they never had any issues. But in terms of actually being a client, I don't know anybody that's been there. Cool. Okay. We had also a Blueberry Market mentioned a few times in the chat. Is that some, a broker you're familiar with or no? Blueberry Market? Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I know that guy. If I'm not mistaken, they're a corporate authorized rep of Axie Trader, if this is the broker that I'm thinking of. And yeah, I think, I've spoken to that guy a few times. Really nice gentleman, runs a clean business. Basically, with a, a corporate authorized rep just means, if, for those that don't know, it means that they don't actually hold a license they piggyback on another broker's license. So in that instance, I believe it's Axie Trader, where Axie Trader is basically vouching that Blueberry is going to do 
right by the clients. And if any regulatory issue should arise, it's not Blueberry necessarily getting in trouble, it's Axie Trader getting in trouble or whatever broker's offering the corporate authorized route. So you still are afforded the same, I guess, protection from the regulator, whether you're going through a car or you're going through the actual broker themselves. But yeah, ASIC broker. So at this day and age with most ASIC brokers, you really can't go wrong from a regulatory perspective. ASIC's really been cracking down. I think they have more insight into the FX industry than most regulated bodies. They just seem to get it. One of the big things that changed this year was brokers can no longer use client deposits to give to their liquidity providers to meet margins. So up until this year, a broker could take basically 50% of a client deposit and give it to their liquidity providers for that client's margin requirements. So say you deposit $10,000, Etienne, to me being broker A, I could take 5,000 of that and give it to my liquidity provider. And then when the trades pass through, well, the reason why they stopped this was because of the Swiss National Bank where like FXCM, for example, they were liable to their liquidity provider because they went to have a balance there, but then their clients didn't have the money, which ultimately almost caused them to go bankrupt. And then if that would have happened, the clients may or may not have gotten the money back because 50% of it technically could have been with the liquidity provider. So Australia saw this. They saw it as definitely a, a potential issue down the line. And they're like, okay, no more. The broker has to capitalize their liquidity accounts with their own funds. Now, client accounts only sit in the client trust account. So when you deposit money, it goes right in that client trust account and it sits there strictly to meet your margins. And then the broker has to take money from their operating account to give to their liquidity provider. So it really does offer a lot of protection at this point on client funds because the only reason why it's there is for you to meet your margin obligations to that broker. And it can't be used for anything else. Very interesting. And Lee's asking about what broker you would recommend for the UK. Do they have a lot of choice? Is it like a select few that they can choose from? Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of UK brokers out there. So if she wants to get in touch with me, feel free to contact me and I'll be able to answer the questions on uh, an individual basis. Like I said, it's, it's difficult to give a blanket answer to questions like that just because every broker is going to be different. Yeah, to, to get that, it kind of makes sense. You cannot just pick a broker that's like chosen out of a list because you have to look at what they fit your style and stuff. Yeah, so that's exactly. a very good point. Yeah, awesome. Have you heard of uh, Tick Mill, another broker? This I, is, uh, I do know the broker Tick Mill. I honestly don't know much about them outside of they, I've seen them keep getting more and more regulated, which obviously is always a good thing. It shows that they're committed to becoming a better broker, making sure that they're transparent and, and offering a good service. But yeah, I, outside of that, I don't really know much about them. Cool. Yeah. I think I've been lucky for picking a broker that was right for me from the start. And I think I've, I've done some research for sure in, like, in the beginning of when I was trying to trade. But one of the key things I think is to not fall for the marketing of some brokers that kind of promote themselves online or in different platform. And that always like makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly. So brokers spend millions of dollars a year on marketing to clients and the marketing is what it is. They're going to put their best foot forward and it may or may not actually be what's behind the door once you get in there. You know, it's you come into like my house, now outside of my house is really nice, but you come inside and it's probably pretty dirty most of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. We have Colin asking about, would you suggest an insurance against your broker in case of uh, liquidity loss? Or is that taken into account by 
the rules of the country or the state? I'm not sure I understand the question. So would you suggest like a, having an, insur an insurance against your broker account in case of a liquidity loss? I'm not sure if that's feasible or not. I've yeah, I don't that. know if somebody, I don't know if an insurance company would insure that, but a lot of brokers have actually started doing that where they will go get an insurance policy against their accounts. So a lot of them you'll see will take out you know, a million, $10 million, whatever they have in client deposits, they'll take an insurance policy out against that. So in the event that they do go bankrupt for whatever reason, then that's protected by this insurance policy. Uh, but most regulated brokers at this point have some sort of insurance scheme or client deposit rules that protect the funds fairly well. Like FCA has 50,000 pounds per client. So if you have 50,000 pounds, the government's basically going to step in and give you that if the broker cannot pay it from their funds. I think SISIC does 20,000 euros. Then as mentioning with, with Australia, it's all segregated. So they can't use the money for anything else. So theoretically, that money is literally just sitting there. And if they go bankrupt, it's not creditors can't go after it because it's not part of the operating capital of the broker. So you know, creditors and debitors can't go after that funds. It'll be returned back to the client. Cool, cool. I think this can bring some light to people who were kind of hit by the rules or the brokers living in country. But is there anything we didn't touch on that you'd like to talk about? Anything that you feel like people should really hear about? Yeah, I mean, I would just reiterate the fact that Europe reducing leverage isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I would reflect and go see how much leverage you're actually using on your account to see if you're actually going to be impacted. Because chances are, you really aren't. Most people aren't maxing out leverage. And more than likely, most people use in that realm of that 30 to 100 to 1 leverage as is. So I would just make sure you go and you check to see if you actually need to up your leverage or keep the same leverage before going through the process of trying to find another broker and switching. Because like I said, chances are you probably don't need that much leverage. Cool. That's interesting. And for my curiosity, is there any broker in Forex that also allow you to trade cryptocurrencies or is that kind of two different things? They do. I personally would not recommend trading cryptocurrencies through an FX broker. The reason being is the cost of trading is so expensive that you're, in most cases, better off going to an exchange to trade it, obviously a regulated exchange, just because the, the cost of trading is very significant at this point. It'll come down. It's like, it's like anything else. FX, 10 years ago, you're, you're seeing three, four wide Euro USD spreads. We're now you see 0.2. If, if you're trading more than you know, 1.2, 1.3, you're probably not with a, a broker that you'd want to be with. And same CFDs were the same way three years ago. The DAX, for example, you're trading five, five ticks wide or five points wide on the DAX. Now it's a half to one in most places. So I think cryptocurrencies will eventually get there. But right now, and I think it has to do with risk mitigation by the broker where there's not a lot of places to offset the flow to. So a lot of them are having to internalize or warehouse the flow from people trading cryptos, which puts them at a significant risk, which, for example, back in December, where everybody was just buying Bitcoin and these brokers couldn't get rid of it. They couldn't pass it off to a liquidity provider. And so they were just having to keep it on their books. And obviously, when flow gets stacked to one direction like that, it puts the broker at significant risk. As a result, you just saw it just blow out all these brokers. They either shut down their, their Bitcoin feed or they, they significantly made it more expensive to carry positions overnight. 
I mean, some of those brokers were charging 50% swap rates to carry a position overnight. Like that's not advantageous to a client because you go to an exchange and not have to pay any of that. I don't know. That's, I could talk hours about cryptocurrencies. And <laughs> but <laughs> like so what, what would you recommend people to do if they want to trade cryptocurrencies? Do they have to, like, what would be the step they have to go through? I mean, I would honestly, I would recommend taking a look at some of the ex- regulated exchanges out there. So the U.S. has quite a few regulated places here. It's, it's state by state. And then in Europe, they're starting to regulate. Like Gibraltar, I think, is a, starting to become a pretty strong crypto regulatory body. Uh, they saw CISIC or Cyprus do it for FX. I think they're trying to do it mostly for cryptos now and become the new Cyprus for cryptos. Europe has a few regulated entities. Um, so yeah, I would just look for a regulated exchange um, would be my sort of where I would start looking at before you look to trade it with a spot FX broker, just until the cost of trading comes down. But that starts, starts getting out of my wheelhouse a little bit. But yeah, I would, I would wait till cost of trading reduces with the spot FX brokers before starting to look there to trade. Cool. And this is a pick you have to take seriously. Brokers in general for Forex or whatever other thing you trade has to be taken seriously because you see people that probably contact you when they pick the wrong broker first and then they have to restart again and go with a different broker. So I think that's something yeah. you have to do right from the start. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, we have had clients get it here a lot in the United States, unfortunately, where clients went with an offshore broker and then they were unable to get their funds back because that broker just disappeared or they had some lawsuit taken against them by the CFTC and so their funds were locked up. So yeah, I definitely think it's important to select a broker, a good broker, good reputable broker out of the gate. But it, you know, even if you haven't or you have questions about it now, it's not too late to switch in most cases. And it's better to switch now than get your funds locked up with that broker disappearing overnight. Cool. So we've put the link below to your site, Forest Park FX. What should people yeah. do if they want to get more into that, picking the right broker? Should they contact you or go on the website? What should they do about it? Yeah, they can either go on the website. Yeah, put the link down there, click through. Generally, I'm the one to answer most of the emails that come through. So we have consultation forms on our site that you can fill out if you just want to have a quick chat or you can come on our live chat. We do that. Most hours of the day, we're available on live chat. If you do it, you know, three, four in the morning, our time, we might not be as quick to respond, but we'll definitely get to you as quickly as we can. But yeah, put the link. I'd be happy to speak with anybody about their, their unique setup and assist them in any way I can. Cool. So if you have any questions, comment below in the uh, comment box after this is finished, and we'll make sure to answer your mm-hmm. question as well. I think Chet and I go back here and answer some comments if you guys have any questions, of course. Thanks a lot, Chet, for being here. I really appreciate it. And give a like if you enjoyed the video today, as always, and we'll catch you guys pretty soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great.